Take your copy of God's Word and open with us to Matthew's Gospel, the fifth chapter and the seventh verse. Matthew chapter 5, verse 7. I want to welcome all of you who have dropped by this morning, those who have tuned in, our television ministry, and those who have logged on uh, watching us via the internet. Thank you for being with us today. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 7, we'll be looking at this uh, beatitude known as mercy. I have the opportunity to work out with a group of guys in Chattanooga called F3 Chattanooga. F3 stands for Fitness, Faith, and Fellowship. And uh, we work out Monday through Friday. Well, there's a workout happening Monday through Saturday. And Monday through Friday, they happen at 5.30 a.m. Something's wrong with us, right? 5.30 a.m. Doesn't matter if it's hot, cold, humid, freezing, raining, snowing, sleeting. As long as it's not lightning, there's somebody, some guys out there somewhere in our city working out at 5.30 a.m. And when, when, on your first time that you work out with them, you get an F3 name, kind of like a nickname. You stand in a circle and they ask you about yourself, share an embarrassing story, and then you give them your F3 name. Aren't you glad we don't do that here at Red Bank? Like <laughs> your first visit, you come up there on the platform, you hand, hand a microphone to you and say, tell us the most embarrassing story of your life, and we'll give you a nickname. Aren't you glad we don't do that? Well, that's part of the culture of F3, just getting to know each other. And so I guess you want to know my F3 name. No, you really don't? Okay. Well, it's blindside, and the way I got the name is when I met Tanya, I was blindsided by her beauty. That is 100% true, but that's not how I got my name. <laughs> I was a bouncer in a bar when I met Tanya, and somebody walked up and hit me in the back of the head. They blindsided me, so that's how I got the name blindside. These F3 workouts uh, are peer-led, meaning that each guy will lead, you know, the guys take turns, we take turns leading them. And when I lead them, I do an exercise called a push-up. We call them merkins, but they're push-ups. You know what a push-up is. And we have all kinds of different variations of push-ups. We have incline push-ups and decline push-ups and wide push-ups and regular push-ups and diamond push-ups and fast-paced push-ups and slow-paced push-ups. We have Hands inward push-ups, hand outward push-ups, hand slightly forward push-up on the left, right hand slightly forward uh, push-up. We've got, we've got more push-ups than Bubba Gump has shrimp. We've got a lot of different kinds of push-ups. And each time I lead, uh, our very own Deacon Chairman Scott Simmons makes fun of me all the time because all I do is, is push-ups when I lead a workout. And there's a reason for that. There's a motto in the F3 Nation called, if you can't do it, don't cue it. So when you're leading for the day, you're the cue. You're the guy that designs the workout and leads it through. And if you can't do it, don't cue it. Right? If you can't run two miles, don't lead the group to run two miles. If you can't do it, you can't lead them to do it. So I take that seriously. So if I can't do it, I'm not going to cue it. So push-ups the only thing I can do. That's it. That's why I do it. When we get to Matthew 5, chapter 5, verse 7, uh, we can understand this beatitude in a very similar way as if you can't do it, don't cue it. We can really understand it in this way, Matthew 5, 7. If you won't be it, you won't see it. If you won't be merciful, you're not going to see mercy. If you don't show mercy, you're not going to be shown mercy. If you won't be it, you won't see it. Jesus said it this way. Look at Matthew 5, 7. Look how Jesus says it. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive what church? Mercy or judgment? Ooh, isn't that good? Not judgment, but mercy. Father, thank you, uh, Lord, today that you are merciful, that your mercy is new this very day, that your mercies are new 
every morning. They never end. They never cease. Oh God, thank you for the undeserved, unmerited mercy that you have shown to us. God, my prayer is that we would receive the mercy that we need and you want to give and that we'd show mercy as a response to your word today. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, on your worship guide on the back, you know how this works. There's a takeaway at the top. The takeaway for this text reads this way. Showing mercy shows that you know you need mercy. When you show mercy, you are showing that you know that you need mercy. That's the problem in the New Testament. Some of the people knew they needed mercy. Some of them didn't think they needed mercy. When you show mercy, it shows that you know you need mercy. So what I want to do today is just share with you about five aspects of mercy from Matthew 5, 7 and a couple of other different texts. But here's the first one. Number one, mercy is waning among many. Now that shouldn't surprise any of us that mercy is waning among many. Among many, mercy is on the way out. Mercy is decreasing. It's declining among many. It's disappearing among many. Mercy is not popular. It's not in style. Mercy is not on fleek. It's not tick-tocking on tick-tock. Mercy is not popular. It's on its way out. It's waning among so many today. And Jesus, although it's not in style and not popular, Jesus included it in the Beatitudes. It's a miracle that mercy's even in here. That You think about it. These are eight ways, according to Jesus, that you can be happy. The word blessed means happy. These are eight ways. And he includes mercy as one of them. Like in his top eight here, he includes mercy. And here's how Jesus says that we can be happy, that blessed, happy, privileged are those who are merciful. Blessed, happy are the merciful. Privileged are the merciful. Enjoying favor are the merciful. Uh, the merciful is the person who is blessed by God and who is especially favored by God and in some aspect is happy about that. Man, so here's the question. Are you happy? I mean, I mean are you happy? You know, isn't that the pressing question that we look at today? Are you happy? Now, I've got proof that it is. I went to the Google search engine I've got a picture I want to show you. And I typed in how to be, and the first autocomplete that popped up, all I did was how to be, and look at the first one. How to be what? Happy. That's a pressing question, apparently, in our culture today. People want to know how to be happy. Jesus is telling you right here, here's the DNA of a disciple. Here's how to be happy. Blessed are the merciful. And yes, on some level, being happy is a choice. Sure it is. You, you, you make a choice to rejoice no matter the circumstances. Here's a picture of a couple of kids. One of them is choosing to be happy. One of them not so much. One of them got third place, happy as a lark. The other one got first place, couldn't be more discouraged and devastated. Right? On some level, happiness is a choice. Right? But Jesus says here pretty clearly that happy are those who are merciful. Like Mary are the merciful. Blessed are the merciful. Happy are those who are full of mercy. Now, we expect to be happy in 2020, right? I mean, as a, as a nation, our motto is what? Life, liberty, and the pursuit of what? Happiness. That's just, 
what we expect. We expect to be happy in our marriage, at work, at home, all the time, 24-7. We expect to be happy. Jesus' audience in the first century never even considered happiness to be an option. They didn't even think they could be happy. So to hear when Jesus said, hey, you can be happy and here's how, their ears would have perked up. So happy, blessed, privileged are the merciful. Now what does Jesus mean by merciful? The word merciful is a word that pertains to showing mercy to other people. Right? Jesus isn't saying here, blessed are the multitude. No, remember, he's talking to a crowd. There's a crowd that's gathered around him and he's teaching. And he doesn't look at them and say, all of you are blessed. He doesn't say that. He says, blessed are those of you who are merciful. Not the multitude, but those who show mercy to other people. Those who are compassionate, not condemning. That's what mercy is. Mercy is being compassionate, not condemning. Mercy is giving, not taking. Right? Merciful. Showing mercy to those who need it. Not only thinking about it. Not, oh, I pity them. That is part of it. The second part is doing, doing something about it. Meeting a need. Being merciful. Being full of mercy. Showing compassion, not condemnation. Putting ourselves in their place and sympathizing with them as Christ has done with us. Christ put on a suit of flesh and he walked as we do. And he was tempted as we are, yet without sin. He can sympathize in every way, in everything you and I experience. Good, bad, and ugly. So how can we be merciful? How can we show mercy on a day-to-day basis? How, how do we do this? A couple of ways. One way is kindness. Somebody say kindness. Right? Somebody say nice. Yeah, we can be nice, can't we? I hope we can. Can we be nice? Can we be kind to one another? The Bible says be kind to everybody. Right? Be nice. Be kind. You have a choice all the time in every situation to either be kind or unkind. Like kind of when you go to Subway and you get behind the person like they've never been there before, like they don't know how this works. You can be kind or unkind. Or you get behind that other person that's ordering for the whole office. Like they're ordering 15 sandwiches for the whole office. You, know, you can choose to be kind or unkind. You can make a choice. I'm going to be nice. I'm not going to be nice. But there's another kind of kindness I want to bring your attention to. Take your Bibles. Go right to the Gospel of Luke. We're going to Luke chapter 10. Somebody say Luke 10. Yes, Luke 10 verse 38. Luke chapter 10. I want to show you another kind of kindness that may not be so kind. Luke chapter 10, I love those rustling of the papers. That's just a, who I love that sound. I know some of you are doing this, you're swiping. Luke 10 verse 38, if you're there, say I'm there. If you're getting there, say I'm getting there. If you're not there, say I'm not there. Luke 10 verse 38, here we go. And a woman, well, let's, let's go back uh, one verse. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, okay? So Jesus has come to town. And there's a woman named Martha who welcomed him into her house. So Martha has welcomed Jesus into her house. Would you agree that that is kind? Is that nice? That she welcomed him? Of course it is, right? She welcomed him into her home. And now let's see, it kind of goes south from here, but that's a good step of kindness. Verse 39, and she had a sister called Mary 
who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But, that shows a, you know, when you see that word but, it's a contrast, right? One thing's happening one way, here's something else happening another way. But Martha, so Mary's doing one thing, Martha's doing something else. Look at Martha. Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha. I mean, she's so distracted. He has to say her name twice. Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Now, when you think about Martha, you think, yes, she's being kind. She's let Jesus into her home. Now she's being kind because she looks at Jesus as an honored guest. And as an honored guest in her home, she knows she needs to prepare a feast. So she gets busy. And she's hustling, and she's bustling, and she's hurrying, and she's scurrying, and she's clamoring, and ends up murmuring. (laughs) She's busy. In her mind, she's being kind. She's showing kindness because Jesus is an honored guest. She wants to provide him a meal. So in her mind, she's being kind. Jesus, however, did not come to her house to be an honored guest. He came to her house make himself at home to be with her and to be with Mary and to make himself at home so Mary's Martha's kindness is is it's it's misplaced it's mistaken it's insensitive Jesus is getting closer and closer to the cross and he wants to make himself at home and and enjoy being with them and Martha's too busy and her kindness comes off as almost cruel Here's here's what I want us to think about as a church, as corporately. I don't have any question in my mind. There's no doubt in my mind that when people come to Red Bank Baptist Church, that they find a kind, friendly church. I don't have any doubt about that. That's not my question. Here's my question. When people come to Red Bank Baptist Church, I know they find kind and friendly people. My question is when people come to Red Bank Baptist and encounter us not when we're here but out there yes we're friendly but here's my question when people encounter us do they say we're a church where people find friends not just that they find us friendly but do they find a friend somebody who's going to enter into their brokenness Somebody who's going to show them mercy, not judge them, get to know them, understand them, show them kindness and forgiveness and mercy. What's another way we can show mercy? Forgiveness, right? I mean, here's here's the two principles about forgiveness in the Bible. Number one, the unforgiven can be forgiven. Are you grateful that you're forgiven? For those of you who have been forgiven by the, the gospel of Jesus Christ, That he has taken your sin away. He has removed your sin. He and he alone has the authority to forgive your sin. And you've received that forgiveness. Are you thankful that you're forgiven? Nod your head. Wave a hand. Say something. Are you glad you're forgiven? Yes. Lord, yes. Thank you for the unforgiven can be forgiven. It's wonderful. 
Here's the second principle about forgiveness you see all through the Bible. The forgiven must forgive, right? Once you're forgiven, you must forgive. We don't forgive to be forgiven. We're, we forgive because we're already forgiven. When we show mercy and we show kindness and we show forgiveness, it shows that we know we need them and we've received them, that they've been shown to us. So listen, mercy is waning among many. Please let mercy not wane among the church. Amen? Let it not wane, disappear, decline, and decrease in our heart and in our life. Two turtles. I read a cartoon the other day. had two turtles in this cartoon. One turtle said to the other one, Sometimes I like to ask God why he allows poverty, why he allows famine, why he allows injustice when he can do something about it. We've all had those thoughts, have we not? That's what the one turtle says. The next turtle said, and I'm quoting the turtle. You don't say that very much. I'm quoting a turtle, do you? (laughs) So the second turtle says, After the first turtle says, sometimes I like to ask God why he allows all this poverty, famine, and injustice. The other turtle responded, I'm afraid God might ask me the same question. Hey, mercy is waning. If you want to live a radical life, show mercy. People won't know how to respond. When you go out of your way to do something they don't deserve and they've not, they will not know how to respond. Show mercy. Because it shows that you know you need it. Number two, mercy is wanted by all. Now, I'll clarify this statement at the end of the point. But number two, mercy is wanted by everybody. It's something that everybody wants. At some point in your life, you're going to want mercy. It's something everybody wants. Everybody wants mercy. Look at the second part of verse 7. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive what? They shall receive what? (laughs) Mercy, not judgment, praise God, but they shall receive mercy. Somebody say they. Again, the Lord is not saying everybody on planet earth that's ever lived is going to receive mercy. Not saying that. He's saying those who are merciful, they. It's very emphatic. They will receive mercy. They will be shown mercy. Not every human being is going to be forgiven. Not every human being is going to be experience the loving kindness and saving grace of God and experience what it means to be a child of God. Not every human being is going to experience that. In fact, Jesus says that in Matthew 7. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not? And he's going to say, I never knew you. Depart from me. And that is maybe the most terrifying verse in all of Scripture. But it's the truth. But even though not everybody will experience mercy at some point, Everybody's going to want it. Everybody's going to want it. It's wanted by all at some point in time. This was the Pharisees' problem. They didn't think they needed mercy. They were self-righteous, man. They had these rituals. They had these rules. And they followed them. They didn't break them. They followed. So they, when they looked at themselves, they didn't think they needed mercy. And that was their whole problem. But at some point in time, every knee will bow. One day, every tongue confess, even the Pharisees are going to realize, man, I need mercy. Let me give you a perfect example of this. Luke chapter 16. So take your Bibles. I don't know if you're still in Luke 10. If you're still in Luke 10, go right to Luke 16. If you're back in Matthew, go right to Luke 16. So either way, go right to Luke 16. 
verse, Luke 16, verse 19 through verse 31 is the entire section here about the rich man and Lazarus. Luke 16, verse 19. If you're there, say I'm there. If you're not there, say I'm not there. All right, we don't have time to wait, so we're going to go on. Luke 16, verse 19. There was a rich man. Somebody say rich. You know, when you think of this in our culture today, Americans, we are the wealthiest nation on earth. And so you can think of, when you look at a third world country particularly, we're all rich compared to the world. So there was a rich man. You can almost put in our context and culture an American. There was a rich man, someone who lives in America, who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. So every day... This guy is living it up, all right? And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus. Lazarus' name means God, the one whom God has helped. So there's a poor man named the one whom God has helped, Lazarus. He's covered with sores, all right? So let me ask you a question. And not only is he covered with sores, look at this. He desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. So let me ask you a question. Does the rich man... Did the rich man ever have any opportunity to show mercy? In his lifetime, did he ever have any opportunity to show mercy? Yes, at his gate is laid a poor man. He's begging, right? He longs, he thirsts, he hungers, he craves for just a crumb, man. Yes, this rich man had every opportunity to show mercy, and every day he just stepped over Lazarus and kept going. Every day he had an opportunity to show mercy and he stepped over and kept going. He just kept going. And then look what Lazarus does. So Lazarus is laying here. Uh, Look at verse 22. Or back up, I'm sorry, verse 21. The the last part of 21. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sore. So Lazarus is even showing mercy to dogs. You see that? He is giving nourishment to dogs. So his body is providing mercy to For the dogs, I know something about showing a dog mercy. (laughs) Mercy. My dog hates me. And every morning my dog wakes up and is not back at the adoption agency is a day of mercy. So I know what it's like to show a dog mercy. And so this poor man is showing this dog mercy. Uh, Verse 22, look what happened. Both men died. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. He didn't even have enough money to have a funeral. He just carried away. The rich man also died and he was buried. He had a, I'm sure it was a extravagant funeral when he was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes, saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, look what he said. What did he say, church? Have what? Have what? Mercy Mercy on me. There came a time in this man's life, he figured out, man, I need some mercy. And look at the irony here. Send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue. Wasn't it Lazarus that was just begging, thirsting, hungering, craving for just a crumb? And here now the rich man is just begging, thirsting, craving, hungry, for just thirsting for just a drop of water. See, here's, here's what happened to the rich man. He didn't know he needed mercy until it was too late. He didn't know he needed it until it was too late. My prayer is that you will know you need mercy before it's too late. 
My prayer is that you will know that you need it before it's too late. Do you even know you need it? See, here's the reality. The thing is not that we want mercy and God needs to give it to us. That's, that's not the... Rather, the issue is we need mercy even when we don't know it and God wants to give it. So please don't wait till it's too late. Do you know you need it? In our former church, there was a couple that... A mother that told me she, she heard her seven-year-old screaming in the playroom, so she ran in, and the, her two-year-old had a hand full of hair just pulling it on that seven-year-old. That seven-year-old was screaming. So she got the two-year-old to let go and told the seven-year-old, look, she, doesn't, she didn't mean to do that. She doesn't know that hurts. Right? She's two. And so she leaves the room, and then she hears the two-year-old screaming. She ran back in. That seven-year-old had a wad of that two-year-old's hand and said, hey, Mom, now she knows it hurts. <laughs> now she knows Do you know sin hurts? Do you know because sin hurts you need mercy? Do you know, are you aware of the fact that you need mercy? I pray that you'll know you'll need it before you want it later and it's too late. You need it now. Don't wait till it's too late and want it later. You need it now. Number three, mercy is warranted by none. So mercy may be warranted at some point in time. Everybody's going to want mercy like the rich man in hell wanted mercy but there was none to give. There was a chasm set up, and it was impossible to get. It's too late. Too late. So everybody wants it, but number three, nobody wants it. Like, nobody deserves it. Nobody has, has merited it. Nobody earns it. Mercy is warranted by none of us. Here's how King David said it. I can't say it any better than King David. He says in, in Psalm 51.1, Have mercy on me. Like David understood, I need mercy. He doesn't say, have mercy on Bathsheba. Or have mercy on Nathan the prophet. Or have mercy on King Saul. Or have mercy on Jonathan. King David knew he needed it. And so his prayer, have mercy on me, oh God. And here's what he based it on. Here's what he based it on. According to... Your steadfast love. King David didn't say, okay, God, have mercy on me according to my mercifulness. Have mercy on me according to my graciousness. Have mercy on me according to my awesomeness. That's not what King David said. King David said, have mercy on me according to your steadfast love, God. According to your abundant mercy. Have mercy on me. In other words, King David knew he didn't earn it. He didn't deserve it. Now, was he merciful to King Saul? Yes, he showed King Saul mercy. Sure he did. But he knew that didn't warrant him receiving mercy. He knew he didn't earn it or deserve it. So he's begging God, God, give me mercy, not according to me, but according to you, Lord, according to your mercy, according to your love. Please, God, have mercy on me. I was sitting in my office this past week studying for this message, and my phone rang, Chattanooga number, so I answered it. didn't recognize it, but I answered it, and it was, immediately it was a recording. Right, you ever get those calls? Pick it up, it's recording. So normally I just hang up on those, but this one said, uh, this is the Social Security Administration, and your Social Security number has been fraudulently used in South Texas. Press 1 to speak to a Social Security agent. So I was a bit suspect when I got the call. I, I, really, I thought it was a scam from the get-go, but I, I entertained them. I pressed 1, and then immediately somebody picked up. And I knew right then, this is a scam. 
There's no company. There's no organization. There's absolutely no firm organization, company in the world that's not going to keep you on hold for a very long, long time. And immediately they picked up. So right then I knew this is a scam. And so I could barely understand what the lady was saying. And she said, hey, this is Social Security Administration. I could pick out those words and your number's been used fraudulently. We want to help you and rectify this, but you need to give us your Social Security number. (laughs) Now, in that moment, I could have done a number of things. I could have given her what she deserved, a piece of my mind, right, or what I thought she deserved. I could have given her a fake number, but then I thought, well, if I give her a fake number, she may think, I mean, that really may be somebody else's number, so I don't want to do that. And so what I chose to do, I said, ma'am, may I ask you a question? She said, sure. I said, how is it that you know my Social Security number has been used fraudulently, and yet you don't know what it is? How's that possible? I said, no, ma'am, you're not going to get my Social Security number, and she hung up on me, and that was the end of that. But I shared that with you for for this point. Listen, did she deserve mercy? No, she doesn't deserve mercy, nor do I. I mean, my heart is bent that way. That, that social security scam, my heart's bent that way. Your heart is bent that way. We are, we are sinful in our flesh, right? We don't naturally put others' interests ahead of our own. We put ours ahead of others naturally. Now, the gospel says, look not only to your own interests, but look to the interest of others. That's what mercy says. And so none of us earn it. None of us deserve it. This, this fake scam agent didn't deserve it, nor do I. Mercy is warranted by none of us. Number four, mercy is winning every day. I am, I am so excited that I get to stand here today and tell you that mercy is winning every single day. Listen, it's waning among many. It's disappearing in our world. It's radical to see it played out and lived out, but I'm telling you, it's winning every day. And in Lamentations chapter 3, Jeremiah the prophet makes this ever so clear. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. Never means never. His mercies never come to an end. Listen to this. They are new every morning. Isn't that good? Listen, Jeremiah lived in a time that was terrible. I mean, uh, Jerusalem's sin abounded. Jerusalem fell during that time. Jeremiah was discouraged. He was depressed. He faced difficulties. He was disappointed. Yet here he is, unapologetically proclaiming that God's mercies never end and they're new every morning and that his mercy wins every day. They're new. How did did Jeremiah know God's mercies were new every day? Because he needed them every day. You will know God's mercies are new every day when you get to the point when you realize, hey, I need God's mercy every single day. And the good news is, as James says, mercy triumphs over judgment. Like mercy is winning every single day. Monday, Josh and I went to lunch at Chick-fil-A, jumped in my car, and I was driving over there. And, you know, when every time I go to Chick-fil-A, either, somebody is either in my parking space or sitting in my seat. And I'm offended by that, and it insults me. But this particular day, I pull into the parking lot, and the best parking spot in the parking lot is open, and we wheeled in there. I said, man, we got the favor of God on us today. And Josh said, yes, of course we've got the favor of God on us today. And the reason we have the best parking spot here and the favor of God on us is because 
you're with me. And I responded, and I said, if we receive this parking spot because of you, then it's not God's favor. It's God's mercy. For he feels sorry for me that I'm with you. That's not favor, that's mercy. God's mercy is winning every single day. You can trust it. I want to show you this again in an account in the Gospel of Luke. So go to Luke 10. One more time, let's go to Luke. Luke chapter 10. This, this one is about the Good Samaritan. And there's a conversation Jesus is having with an attorney here in Luke chapter 10, uh, beginning with verse 27. Well, the conversation begins in verse 25, but, the, but Jesus is talking in this attorney asks him, says, and who is my neighbor? And so we're going to pick up the conversation in verse 30 of Luke 10. And here's Jesus' reply. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among robbers. Okay? Who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a priest was coming down the road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise a Levite. When he came to the place, saw him, passed by on the other side. But, there's that word of contrast again, a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. Like he thought compassionately. And then look what happened. He went to him, bound up his wounds, pouring on oil. Those are essential oils, right? And wine. Then he set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper saying, take care of him. Whatever more you spend, I'll repay you when I get back. And then Jesus asked the attorney this question. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among robbers? Here's what he said. Look what he said. The one who showed him what? Mercy. The one who showed him mercy. Now I want you to understand the difference between mercy and grace, okay? In this particular account, for example, when the Samaritan bound up the wounds of the man who was robbed and beaten and left for dead, he showed him mercy. When he took him to the nearest inn and paid for his stay, he showed him grace. Right? Mercy deals with the relieving of the pain and the suffering, while grace provides healing. When it comes to salvation, think about it this way. Mercy says no hell, like no punishment, no judgment. Like you don't get what you deserve, mercy. Grace says, grace doesn't say no hell, grace says heaven. <laughs> like, like you get heaven. Mercy says, I pity you. Grace says, I pardon you. All right? Mer Justice is we get what we deserve. I hit you, you hit me back, and we're, we're good. Mercy is, I don't get what I deserve. I hit you, I do you wrong, you don't do me wrong. Grace is, I get what I don't deserve. I do you wrong, you don't do me wrong, and then you give me something extra. You do me right. You give me more than I could ever deserve. Paul Williams writes this. The, the sound woke me up at 5.30 a.m. It wasn't the sound of F3 men working out, according to him. I say that because I mentioned that earlier. Do y'all remember that? Me saying that 5.30? Okay, whatever. We'll move on. 
All right. The sound woke me up at 5.30 a.m. Listen to this. I thought it was my car alarm. When it happened, again, the next morning, it dawned on me, I had a mockingbird outside my window. Twice as loud as any other bird I'd ever heard. Earplugs didn't work. Okay. Pillow on my head didn't work. What am I to do? The first year, I tolerated the bird. The second year, it was war. I borrowed a BB gun and some safety goggles. I didn't want to put my eye out. And each time I raised the gun to fire, the bird would fly to another limb or another power line. So ultimately, I just put the gun and the goggles down. It wasn't working. Since I couldn't find the mockingbird in my goggles, I tried to find the mockingbird on Google. So I Googled killing mockingbirds, and what do you think popped up? Yep, Harper Lee's book. Of course, then I Googled mockingbirds, and what I found was astounding. The more I studied, the more fascinated I was, the more intrigued I was, the more I learned, the more sympathetic I was to the mockingbird. The more you know, the old proverb says, to know all is to forgive all. When you get to know someone, and you get in their shoes, and you get in their skin, and you're intentional about meeting them where they are, and you begin to understand their situation, I'm telling you, you'll be more apt to be merciful and kind and forgiving. Mercy is winning every day. It is continuing to win every single day. Number five, last one, church. Here we go. Mercy is waiting today. Like mercy is available right now. Like, like it's waiting on you right now. I love this passage of Scripture in the Gospel of Ephesians or in the book of Ephesians. If you will go right from Luke or from Matthew all the way over to the book of Ephesians. It is after the first and second letters to Corinth. It is after Galatians. You'll come to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4 and 5. I'm really just going to look at the first part of verse 4. Look what the Bible says. But God being rich. Somebody say rich. Somebody say dollar dollar bills, y'all. Okay, say rich. Rich. All right, God's rich in mercy. What does that mean? Well, let me tell you what it doesn't mean. This in no way means that God is racing to get more mercy. It doesn't mean that he's reeling because he doesn't have as much mercy as he used to have. It doesn't mean that he's rationing out what little mercy he has left. It doesn't mean that he's refilling mercy that has been emptied. It doesn't mean that he's risking not having enough mercy. It does not mean that God is running out of mercy. He's not running out. He is rich in mercy. He's abundant in mercy. His mercy never ends. It's new every day. It's never ceasing. It's available right now to you. He's got plenty of it. There's more where that came from. He's got plenty of it. I'm sure you've all heard of this. I've heard of it a time or two. There's a dog owner who loved his dog and the dog was lost. So the dog owner made some posters and put them all around town. And here's what he wrote. My missing dog only has three legs. He's blind in the left eye. He's missing his right ear. His tail has been broken off. He's almost deaf. And he answers to the name Lucky. <laughs> right? You've heard that before. Anyway, you slice it, this dog does not seem very lucky. This dog's a mess. 
He's broken all over the place. Nothing's working. He's a mess. So why is he lucky? You know why he's lucky? Because he has an owner who knows every place where he's broken and the owner still loves him and the owner wants him back. (laughs) As broken as you are, God not only loves you, He wants you back. He wants you back. And He's rich in mercy. He's not running low on mercy. He's got plenty of it. And He's waiting on you today to receive this mercy. Well, what is God's mercy? Ephesians 2, 4 says it this. But God being rich in mercy. How? Because for this reason, of the great love with which He loved us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved and raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages, He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace in kindness... Mercy toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of work so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. Which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Barnhouse said this. When Jesus Christ died on the cross all the work of God for man's salvation passed out of the realm of prophecy into the realm of historical fact. God has now had mercy upon us all. All the mercy God's ever going to show to man, He's already shown it when Christ died. This is the totality of mercy. There cannot be any more. The fountain is now open. It's flowing. It continues to flow. It's flowing freely. (laughs) Hey, His mercy is available. His mercy is waiting on you today. So let me challenge you, if you've never experienced the mercy of God, if you've never trusted in Christ as your personal Savior, if you've never had that experience, you can have it today. Yeah, it's available today. God wants you to come to Him today. That's His invitation for you to come to Him. All you who are weary and heavy laden, He'll give you rest. He'll do that today. His mercy and grace is enough to do that today. Wherever you are, He's going to meet you in your brokenness and save you. And all we ask you to do, if you want to have a conversation about that, we're going to have some pastors down front. In a moment, we're going to stand up. We're going to start singing, right? And we want you to step out and come to one of our pastors. We'd love to hook you up with somebody uh, to, to talk with you and have a conversation with you about the decision you want to make today to trust Christ. We've got some folks that are trained and ready to do that. But we need you to respond, and we need you to come and tell us, that you're ready to have that conversation. We'd love to have a gospel conversation with you today. I had a church member call me yesterday. They're visiting family and up north, and his mother-in-law's this close to trusting Christ. I need you to pray for that mother-in-law. Just pray for her. I mean, she, she does not believe, has never believed, but, man, she's, she's hungry, she's thirsting, she's craving. She can taste the gospel. It's this close, so be praying for her. Maybe that's you today. I mean, you're this close from making a new change. You want a new life. Well, you can have a new life today. 
Not another life, a new life. Maybe you want a new marriage. Not another marriage. Maybe you want your now marriage to be made new. It can today. Maybe you want a new hope. Not another hope and hoping without any hope, but a new real live hope. You can have it today. So come and let us know. Hey, I'm ready, Pastor, to make that decision today. For the rest of us, those who are following Christ, the best we